0: Did you guys know uh, Hegel almost died of uh, the fever when he was teen? I mean, that's uh, a
1: it's so. an interesting thing to consider. <laughs> who would have been Hegel if Hegel had died? Because there's a notion of there's a notion of history and of uh of the march of history, which I disagree with, but that exists within Marxism. That like if somebody like if an important historical figure who plays a particular role like was unable to for some reason fulfill the particular role that they played in history, the history would conjure up that same another version of the individual, right? Well, like there are people who say basically like, you know, if, if like let's say if Napoleon Bonaparte had been shot on the battlefield as a corporal or as a general before he became first consul or emperor, then uh, the movement of history being what it was would have elevated some other particular outstanding individual to play the role that Bonaparte played. And I don't think that that's true. And I think a survey of Bonaparte's own life and times will not reveal a secondary Bonaparte. Now, maybe a hundred years later, somebody else might have in a different situation entirely. If, but it's not that the he wasn't just a product of the time in the sense that like, you know, the time demanded him. So he existed or rather he played a particular role within the time because A, the time demanded him. But B, he wanted to be that person and tried to be.
2: Personally, I believe that there's a hidden Bonaparte that will be revealed. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 lead us into uh, the the new glorious empire. I
1: mean, yeah, I think so. Too.
0: Well, yeah. Well, Hegel's Hegel's quote when Napoleon came to Prussia was, "Uh, uh the clouds have descended onto Earth." And uh, but then he goes on this whole thing in the phenomenology about how, like, the the world spirit attaches itself contingently to, um, uh, to yeah. So basically. Yeah, that idea of like history conjuring up people is uh is is anti-Hegelian, I guess. I don't
2: Hello and welcome to the Regrettable Century. I'm Chris.
0: I'm Kevin
1: and I'm Jason.
2: And today we have with us Sam. Sam who is actually joining Red Library for a new project that he's going to be doing with Adam called The Red Desert, which I don't really get it, but I think it sounds like it's <laughs> going to be cool.
1: Uh, I know that it has Sam and it has Adam. So it's yeah. going to be
2: cool. So it's going to be cool. Basically, it's just a freewheeling process of philosophizing that is being caught on tape or tape. You're going to catch it on, on the real real <laughs> and uh, will eventually culminate in some sort
1: of <laughs> book. Uh, some and, uh sort of new synthesis.
2: Uh, yes, exactly. And I and uh I haven't gotten a chance to really dig into the episode yet, but you know, it sounds
1: pretty cool. So uh yeah, welcome fellow Lost Horizons Network comrade, Sam. Right,
0: Sam. Say what's up, Sam. Hello, I am <laughs> Sam uh Samuel, I guess, depending on if I'm in trouble or not. Uh but yeah, hello. It's good <laughs> to be here with you all.
2: And tonight we are talking about Hegel. And Marx.
3: So, can I just start us off by saying that um, I don't understand Hegel.
2: <laughs> yeah, like uh, Sam suggested before the episode started, that maybe we give our interpretations of Hegel. Like, what do we think about Hegel? What do? Oh shit! Like,
1: <laughs> oh, is that like our icebreaker question? Like when you go to like the the new uh, orientation meeting and everyone goes around and says whatever their favorite baby animal <laughs> yeah, that's our icebreaker
3: that works here. I'll start it because that'll make it easier for everybody else. Um, because I'll, I'll be the the dummy who doesn't know anything. Um, so I, I, when I, when I encounter Hegel, I cannot help but feel like just reverting back into my analytical philosophy, philosophical training, uh, which is to say, this is all hooey. This doesn't mean anything. You're just obfuscating, uh, uh, for the sake of obfuscation. Uh, I'm going to go back to my, uh, syllogisms, but that's te- that, uh, temptation is tempered with, um, an, uh, the awareness of the, uh, of the fact that there is a great number of people who I find immensely, um, useful, uh, who s- uh, say that Hegel is immensely useful. So there's gotta be something there. Uh I just can't I don't I do. ever I, really I, I, I know would be, I would be a person what about. it is or where it is. Yeah. Yeah. For example, like like Sam. Um, um, I know. I, I I know that whenever I encounter people who dis or, or, or thinkers who dismiss the notion of the dialectic, um, I think that that is, is uh, <laughs> a really counterproductive. And I and I think dialectical thinking is um, uh, something that clearly comes from Hegel that uh, I think is really important. That's something that I can definitely, I can latch onto that. I can be like, okay, that at least to some degree makes sense to me. And I think is important and useful. Um, Beyond that. I just, I don't know what to make of, of this shit.
2: Well, you know, my only interaction with Hegel has been through Marxists. And uh, from what I understand, Hegel has been incredibly useful in being the foundation for the Marxist method. And that has always been been its use for me, of course, like Kevin mentioned dialectics. And, uh, you know, I I think that um, that's part of the reason I wanted to do this episode is because I wanted to understand maybe Hegelianism on its own terms, but also what it was that enticed the Hegelian Marxists to reassert the hegelianism of marxism you know just reemphasize it i mean and um yeah i think that my interpretation of hegel like everything that i anytime i tried to read it when i was younger because when i was young i was just like well you know I'm a marxist i should understand hegel so i picked up hegel and was like okay um maybe i shouldn't read hegel <laughs> um and I, I feel like uh i think anytime i i've ever had hegel explained to me it just went in one ear and out the other but you know this time in the readings that you that you suggested that we read for this, it seems to be starting to come together a little bit more clearly for me. Not because of Frederick Jameson, by the way, I might add. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very specifically, not because of Frederick Jameson.
2: More so because of Žižek. Uh,
1: so, um, I I don't know if I would I I might hesitate to say somebody who discovered the the basic kind of laws of existence and of becoming, like of of uh of the dynamics of movement within the world, but certainly somebody who contributed uh, the most to uncovering what those are. Like when I think of Hegel, I think of like, it's the, the Hegel's the reason why Marxist communism is more than just uh, we should do this because it's a better idea, right? But Hegel's Hegel's logic is, is uh, the reason is like, it's, it's what our own, our politics are rooted in Hegel's logic even even to the extent even beyond whether or not we even know it, right? So I also primarily first encountered Hegel as uh part of the Marxist prehistory. And so for a long time, you know, when you're a Marxist, you're taught that basically Hegel is a person who sort of understood the inherent contradiction that is essential in everything. And that the the contradiction between uh antagonisms is part of what drives uh, things from non-existence into existence through the process of becoming. But Marx is the one who figured out that it's material and Hegel's idealist. And so Marx is the one who fixed it and flipped it on his head. And uh, that's decent and workable for a while. But uh, over time, I've come to understand uh, a lot more and a lot more and a lot more depth. But also, the more that I understand about Hegel, the less I understand uh, Hegel. <laughs> I feel a lot like Hegel himself, and says that there's only one person who's understood me, and that's me, and I don't even understand, or something like that.
2: <laughs> I don't think he uh, said it was dead.
1: Uh,
0: no, it was. Uh, it was on. He was on his. He was nearing his deathbed, and he said, uh, "Only, only one man ever comprehended my work, and he, and even he didn't understand it."
1: That's that's the one. That's what I meant. <laughs> I'm. I feel like I'm among the people who understand Hegel, but don't really understand Hegel. But like, so I'll shut up with this. But I I do, I feel like the, I spent a lot of time in my life trying to like really fully become like a, to be a Marxist and to understand Marx as more than just a series of like ideas and positions and thoughts written down that aggregate to something called Marxism. And I feel like fairly accomplished in doing that. Whereas I feel like, you know, for a long time in your life on the left, Being a Marxist means essentially encountering Marxist thoughts in fits and starts and bits and pieces through popularizations and, you know, sort of assembling those into a worldview that you consider Marxist because it comes from Marx. And then you graduate from that at some point. And uh, so that's where I'm with Marx. But when it comes to Hegel, I'm still at where the baby Marxist is with Marx. I have encountered Hegel. I've encountered popularizations of Hegel. And I've read Hegel, but I haven't read, like, the phenomenology from beginning to end, and definitely not enough to uh, be able to explain it in any serious depth. And I think that's why Sam's here.
2: Well, I think that, like, it's, to me, um, what makes Hegel, what made Hegel interesting to me, worth looking into more, was how much I tend to agree with the Hegelian Marxists. And, uh, like, a lot of them, not all of them, obviously. But yeah, so that's something that I've come to relatively recently, Uh, having been uh, involved in a very stultifying and sort of dismissive tradition coming out the other end of that and wanting to actually try to soak up more information. I found the Hegelian Marxists to be very interesting, and it makes me want to learn more about Hegel.
0: Yeah, um, so... um... The, the, yeah those are all those are all good uh attitudes i I appreciate uh all 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 of, all of them all all levels of understanding and yeah i mean i guess um when when you guys asked for me to do this, it was like sort of like like Chris you said uh th- to explain Hegel to you as if you were a, a dumb baby. Yes, and, uh, exactly. I, I kind of, I kind of was like, I was like, all right, how do like, I I, I I like, I I sat and thought for a while, like, all right, how do I how do I do that? Because I mean, Hegel is uh reputedly the the, the uh hardest philosopher uh, to understand. Um, uh, Adorno uh, has this line about Hegel that um he's the only philosopher that um, uh. That one cannot come to uh, a a concrete conclusion on, so much so that I'm not even sure if there is a concrete conclusion in there. <laughs> and, uh, um, but uh, but I also think I I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, that sort of is is a testament to the 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 sort of like uh the the heights that Hegel achieved with his with his thought, and I think um, sort of now more than ever, there, uh, is, is sort of a time where, where we should, um, bring Hegel back into Marx to, to, uh, radicalize Marx even further because there is, there is, uh, you know, uh, it's sort of like, it sort of talked about that, like, like Hegel exists in this rift and, and he stands at this rift where there's like the, the sort of like left Hegelian and, and right Hegelian interpretations of him. And there's a lot of debate back and forth about, um, you know, what, what Hegel actually was like, what, was he like, you know, a a thinker of the left or a thinker of the right. And, and I I sort of, you know, a lot of, a lot of, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like, is, is Hegel a a conservative or a leftist? Uh, The answer is yes, please. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, uh, Oh no, that that, sounds pretty red brown. (laughs) Well, it's like, it's that, uh, it's that Hegel, Hegel exists at at this in in a, in a rift in, in an antagonism, uh an antagonism of all antagonisms and that and that's sort of the the uh um there is you know i i sort of have uh what's what's referred to as an extremist uh hegelian view a a revolutionary you know radical left uh hegelian view but i mean the conservative uh hegelian view is there but i just i just think that uh the 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 um, emancipatory aspects of of Hegel are are so much so that that um it it he he deserves to be to be brought back into you know the 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 leftist tradition and and hold like a a, a dominant place there.
1: This might sound like I'm trying to tell a stupid joke, uh, and I often do that, but <laughs> I'm not here. Um, it's actually a question. Would you say that it's actually accurate to? Consider Hegel's own sort of logical framework as containing within it its own negations, its own sublations, and the negations of its own negations. That it is actually so dialectical that it has, it contains within it the contradictions which move it itself forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the phenomenology is, is sort of, uh, uh, colloquially referred to as as the book that encompasses uh the entire uh the entirety of being within it and that um uh yeah it's it's it is it is uh so uh, you know so dialectical in its in its essence that that it does encompass the the entirety of 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 being and 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 has has within it all of these uh its own antagonisms because it sees antagonism or hegel sees um uh, antagonism and 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 contradiction as that which is true and and so i guess uh now we can start i can i can start uh talking about hegel i guess uh um uh so 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 hegel was born on uh august 27th 1770 in in, uh (laughs) in uh, stuttgart uh germany no I, I, i i we don't have to talk about stuff like that but uh um this uh, shit.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's do it.
0: But, uh, uh, um, but there, but there is an interesting part in, in sort of the, 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 the younger years of his life when he was, um, uh, defending his PhD. And, uh, back then you, you, uh, your PhD was you, um, you had 10 theses that you then defended against like a panel. And then you got a PhD at the end. Uh, and, um, uh, Hegel, uh, his um the first the first thesis thesis among amongst the the ten that he uh put forth was uh um uh contradiction is the contradiction is the sign of truth, non contradiction of the false. So that was like the just the first thesis of his PhD, and and it kind of like you know it it rocked the entire boat of the entire uh it rocked the boat of the entire Aristotelian philosophical tradition because uh no one had ever thought that way and and hegel was a was a thinker that you know was a was a person who who was like the things that we just kind of like see as commonplace now he he sort of uh was the catalyst for those things like the idea of of seeing ourselves as historical beings like he he was kind of the first like historical philosopher and 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 a person to emphasize historical context and that that the, you know, the absolute must be achieved, uh, through, um, uh, uh, a particular historical context. And, um, and, and Kevin, you mentioned before, like, sort of like Hegel seems like this ob- obfuscating sort of, uh, abstract, you know, language all throughout and sort of, you know, an mm-hmm. an example of that is his, like his, uh, his master slave dialectic, um, which sort of is this very, like large abstract notion, but at the same time he was developing it, uh, through correspondence he was receiving, uh, from, rep- uh, of reports on the Haitian revolution and that he was right, developing right. his theory, uh, out of, out of the, 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 his sort of analysis of the Haitian revolution. And that, that was like a, you know, that was a, a, a cornerstone of his philosophy is that, uh, he didn't want to just like analyze the particular event. He wanted to, you know, reach the like universal kernel within the particular event and, and, and grasp that something that something Hmm. that, um, uh, you know, was, was trans like a, like a universality that was trans historical, uh, out of, out of this like particularity. And so, I mean, that's why it's like, you don't see, I mean, it's like in the phenomenology, he's constantly referencing like the French revolution and the Haitian revolution and, and stuff like that, but he never names them because he's, he's interested in like the universality, uh, that those that those events represent and not just like the particular analysis of the specific event.
2: So if I understand correctly, he refers often to the Haitian and the French revolutions but didn't have anything to say about the American Revolution. Uh he wasn't particularly interested in it.
0: Yeah, um well he he saw like like the 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 French Revolution and the Haitian Revolution were interesting to him because he they, they were sort of, they were, they were fought on the same universal principles. And he was, that's, he was interested in the, in the, that these, these, these universal notions, like, you know, like Liberté, Egalité, and so on and so on. Like the, the, both those revolutions were being fought on the same principles. And so he saw it as like this universality revealing itself through these particular, um, uh, um, you know, events and that. Uh, that was that was his interest was like what what is like the, the the broader sort of uh you know global movement that these that these uh sp- particular events are touching upon mm-hmm. i suppose yeah but uh right.
1: so i mean would you would you say it's fair to say that hegel is is not just like the first kind of like real philosopher of history or even the person who uncovers a kind of a philosophy or first articulates a philosophy of history but also that like he um his thinking is only possible because of the particular juncture in history in which it is being developed, right, which is to say yeah. that it is that you that it's the the return of the universal or it's actually maybe it's the not the return I don't know you know Christianity is a universalism of a type, right there's a yeah. particular historical moment in which there are these universals that have these very specific particulars. Yeah. That uh, like, allow like, for Hegel to become the person who identifies them as such.
0: Yeah, and like, and 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 Christianity is a good is a good sort of like, um, example of that because Hegel saw you know sort of like so so um, I guess uh some something I can I can say is is uh you know to sort of like explain uh, Hegel to a dumb uh, child I I would uh <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, choose this choose this uh. Uh, there's there's a sentence in the phenomenology that sort of in, in, encapsulate, you know, ironically encapsulates his, I I think, entire project, and ironic because he literally says in the phenomenology, ph- uh, philosophy cannot be reduced down to one sentence. But here it is. Uh, uh, but the sentence is, uh, in my view, which uh um, must be justified by the exposition of the system itself everything hangs on apprehending and expressing the truth not merely as substance but also equally as subject and um and so that's sort of the 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 kernel of 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 Hegel's entire uh, philosophical right. system is that substance is equally subject and that uh you know sort of the entire philosophical tradition which uh, up until then and you know very much uh, after him as well has been trying to get at some sort of substantiality uh, you know to bring to bring all these diversities in the world into like one substantiality and that and that hegel said um no <laughs> like you can't, that that you, you can't that can't happen because you know substance is is subject that, that su- what is subject but the impossibility of substance to be substance it's it's substances uh not only subjects alienation from substance but substances alienation from itself. And that every that everything, uh, yeah, e- equally hangs on 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 that on that uh that core contradiction and that core antagonism that then you know, um, so something like universality, uh, he he has this 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 term uh, in phenomenology of uh, self self othering. So like everything contains in it its own negation, and that it it only can become itself through its through becoming its other so like the universal has to reveal itself through the particular the ne- the necessary has to reveal itself through contingency uh and and so on and so forth all of these sort of substantial uh claims throughout philosophy that that um and uh and the reason i say christianity is a good example of that is that's that is uh the christ figure is is god uh, the universal god must reveal itself through the particular of christ and then he becomes real and 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 hegel mm-hmm. saw he was sort of the first philosopher to claim the death of god that when uh christ died god died and 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 so he he uh was the the you know uh that's why uh christianity for him was was the last religion but uh and um and and so yeah so there's this 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 uh basically like there's this line in in phenomenology where he uh, he says uh um dialectics is the universal uh irony of the world that that uh and and sort of what is irony but it's it's when one thing uh sort of presented means the opposite of what it's being presented as so it's like you have the same uh you know when you when you say something ironic it's like you're you're saying something but you mean the exact opposite in that in that sort of that um that die- that dialectics is is that sort of antagonism, and that all all substantiality, uh, has in a negation that prevents it from being substantial. And this is sort of the you know coming to maybe maybe a big uh, topic of discussion for this is uh you know Marx is a materialist and Hegel is an idealist sort of thing. And uh, but uh, what I would say is uh no <laughs> and, okay. uh, right because 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 uh you know materialism for hegel uh you know matter is is just another idea and and it, and it, and nothing can be substance not even ideas like not even idealism so he didn't see he wasn't a materialist or an idealist because uh sort of he, he didn't believe in substantiality that everything contained in it uh um it, it's it's opposite its own opposition
1: yeah i've often sort of thought well i haven't often i have lately thought over the last two three years really that the notion that there is a that there is a dialectical uh truth or rather that the that the workings of the universe are dialectical and that you know hegel kind of uncovers it and marx finishes developing or or fully discovers it by flipping it on its head that like, you know, that Hegel's the idealist dialectician and Marx is the materialist dialectician. I have, I think I have come to, to think of that as being essentially uh, a rendering of Hegel through a rendering of Marx secondhand or thirdhand, even rather (laughs) than, I forget a deep under deep uh, engagement with Hegel. But that comes from even a lack of a deep engagement with Marx.
0: yeah, for sure and and I mean you know the, historically uh, not to just like make everything historical, but yeah i mean, I mean marx it, can be, responding it can be a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i mean but mark i mean marx mark's sort of criticisms and interpretations of of Hegel came from uh the young Hegelian's interpretation of he- hegel that that um there there was this sort of idea of Hegel that um uh sort of um came to be by the the young Hegelians um and that that was the Hegel Marx was you know flipping on his head and there's there's a good there's a good joke uh here where um uh the, the Marxist says, oh yeah, Marx flipped Hegel on his head and the Hegelian responds, Oh, well that's fine because Hegel can stand on his head just fine. But uh <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh and and sort of the joke is twofold because you know like Hegel is is the dialectician so it's like he has feet on both sides of him but uh um <laughs> and uh but uh but also that sort of Marx was uh knocking on an open door when when he when he did that and that sort of in a sense one could read sort of t- taking an idealist methodology and just applying it to you know the material world the the, the world of matter means that you're still looking at the the sort of objective material real world in an idealist framework and so there there has to be some sort of and this is the the hegelian marxist position is marx has to be f- flipped on his head uh the way he should have flipped hegel initially and that when the two when those two things come together then you have a a good philosophy i guess in my head, in my eyes, right. So, like I mean,
2: basically, it's like when you put two magnets next to each other, and they just like <laughs> spin around. Yeah, it's pretty like much a perpetu- like a sort of like if you made a perpetual motion machine out of magnets, where Marx and Hegel's heads can't touch each other, so they keep spinning.
1: <laughs> and that, and that's what's called uh progress.
0: Yeah, and the tr- um, and the truth lies in between their two heads. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, so like it's it seems to me like you know Hegel is the dialectical thinker par excellence of his era right that which is the era of the ascendant bourgeoisie of a a particular revolutionary period uh which is an idealist one and it is uh you know there is an uncovering of another layer of of uh, a deeper layer of reality that is more than just you know ideas about universal brotherhood and uh, liberty and these complete abstractions, which turn out to have these very material manifestations that like Marx is responsible for because of the particular historical period in which he lives. Uh, but if you were to flip them, if somehow, you know, like, or if Hegel was like alive in the 1880s or something that it's, you know, if we're just thinking historically, dialectically, it's not, it doesn't stand to reason at all, and certainly not by Hegel's own logic, uh, or Marxist that, uh, that same exact logic would have been produced by that person in those new historical, uh, conditions. So it's, I don't, I just don't think it's entirely right or fair to either Hegel or Marx's own, uh, appraisals to say that like, you know, Marx fixed Hegel. It's just that Marxism is, is rooted in Hegel's thought and then it's also rooted in other things which are new developments in history as it has unfolded
0: yeah well that's i mean i think i think that's sort of a symptom of of this sort of uh a, like immediacy a of you know uh hegel would call it a sense certainty of just the only thing i uh i can know are real or just what i can sense or, or what i can experience with my senses he thought that was like the dumbest uh thing in the world but uh and that um but this idea of like that that philosophy is a linear progression. That right. Who can, like the person who came out? You know, Aristotle came after Plato, so he's smarter. Marx came after Hegel, so he's smarter. This sort of like yeah. that every that that philosophy is a is a linear progression instead of a, a sort of a, a a contingent, um, you know, uh, zigzag, I guess, or something like that. That that we should be always looking trying to like figure out what people before would have set, would have responded to their, their critics in the, in the future and, and so on. But, um, yeah. And I mean, and I think, and I mean, not to like, I, I, I hope, and I, I don't want to like make it seem like Hegel and Marx are just like totally at odds with each other. Cause I mean, Marx's whole, uh, or like, like the idealist materialist thing makes them at odds with each other. But, uh, um, Cause I mean, Marx's whole, like, like, uh, Marx describes the commodity as a sensuous, super sensuous thing. And, and that was Hegel's notion of, of substance and subject that, that sort of matter is, is, is a sensuous, non-sensuous thing. It's, 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 uh, it's a, it's like a bodiless thing, but nonetheless objective. You know, it's an idea, but it still exists. And, and that Marx's whole notion of the commodity as the sensuous, super sensuous thing, that it's a, you know, a real thing, but it has all these like metaphysical, what did he say? Like metaphysical quirks about it and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah.
1: Well, like I was thinking um, that like, uh, just to, maybe I'm putting too fine a point on this, but this particular kind of uh, vulgarization of Hegel that, that exists within the, the political discourse in within Marxism. Indicates a sort of a, a certain lack of dialectical logic itself because, you know, there's this idea that like Marx is, Marx is the negation of Hegel. But that, you know, if you really think about what sublation is, right, when you have something which is like, uh, you know, done away with, but is still also preserved at the same time. And then it's sort of like, it is itself the negation of its negation. So that like there's such a thing as a Hegelian Marxism, which is the the, not like the rediscovery of Hegel in Hegel's terms, but the rediscovery of Hegel in Marx's terms, which is to say to, that it, it asserts itself on a, on a higher level, like an, as a higher truth. But it's only through Marx that Hegel is, uh, capable of being, you know, uh, asserted on the higher truth. So it's first by its negation that it then, that then you get like a, I don't know, whatever, a better Hegelianism. <laughs>
0: Well, there's, so, uh, that, that reminds me of this, uh, joke that I like that, that, that is very, uh, dialectical. Uh, but, uh, the joke goes, so this guy, uh, is taking his, uh, sick wife to the hospital and, uh, she has to have a, 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 a sort of life, uh, saving or life ending operation. Uh, her, her life hangs in the balance, but, uh, so she's, she's in the operating room and the guy's sitting in, um, in the, uh, uh, uh sort of in the waiting room sort of thinking to himself like please don't let her die please don't let her die during the surgery like i love my wife i don't want her to die and uh after the operation the doctor comes out and he and he says, uh, "Your wife is 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 uh, fine. The 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 surgery was a success. However, there were some hiccups during the surgery. Her uh, anus prolapsed, so and we can't put it back in. So she's just going to have a constant like stream of uh, shit coming out of her ass forever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and also her uh, her jaw." Uh, her her sort of gag reflex is always going to be triggered now when she eats. So she's any time she eats, she's going to be throwing up food constantly. And um, and uh, and as he's sort of saying all these like minor hiccups that happen during surgery, the guy's face is his jaw is dropping and his like eyes are widening, and he like can't believe what he's hearing. And then the doctor suddenly stops and says, oh, "I'm just fucking with you, man. She died during the operation." And- <laughs> <laughs> but uh
2: but that, <laughs> heard that's that part of before
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um but uh yeah and that's sort of this the this idea of like the the original bad news is now the good news in comparison to like all those other horrible things yeah I would have had to go through but yeah so yeah i mean that's the your your sort of summation of that hegelian marxism reminded me of that i think that joke is like a good encapsulation of it.
1: <laughs> so that's how you would explain Hege- Hegelianism to uh a dumb Indian baby.
2: <laughs> to a child, yes. Yeah. So listen up, kids. <laughs> well, there's
0: well there's there's also uh I mean Hegel is so like like going back to that Adorno line, I mean there you you don't really find many like Hegelians who just sort of like are just Like, Hegelians alone, like, obviously, Zizek uh, brings, like, stuff like psychoanalysis and, and quantum physics into his reading. And, like, other people bring, like, literary criticism and, and film theory and stuff like that. And, um, and, uh, and I am, I'm, uh, one of those people who sort of, um, reads, uh, sort of Hegel in, in addition to, uh, like, with other supplementary stuff to try and, like, um, you know, find these, like, kernels of, of sort of, uh u- useful knowledge uh within him and uh but um yeah so i i sort of read uh like uh like i sort of read hegel through like an art theoretical and uh and an uh infinitesimal uh calculus lens like I, I, uh, a lot of like math goes into my reading of hegel but that's something we can talk about
1: later i don't <laughs> i don't do a lot of math
2: ever <laughs> um yeah that sounds offensive to me <laughs>
0: But, um, but I can, but I can, but what I'm saying is I can, I can explain it in like, uh, the, the Hegelian Marxist position, I think pretty well, but there's going to be like some math involved if, if you want. It's not, it's not dumb baby, but it's like, it's like a mediocre toddler, I guess level. That's,
1: I mean, look, it's, it's depends on what type of brain a person has, right? Like, I think that Hegel, finally started to make sense to me whenever it was pointed out to me by a friend that the that Hegel's philosophy is the philosophy of the history that he lived and that it is perfectly on display in his own timeline so that you know like the French Revolution Napoleonic era and restoration perfectly illustrate Hegel's logic like in 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 practice so that so tell me if this rings true for anybody else but this was the beginning of my kind of like genuine comprehension as opposed to like the more simplistic. You got your thesis, you got your antithesis, antithesis, and then you got your synthesis, which is like a decent starting point. Right. But like the French Ancien yeah. regime is then overthrown by the Jack, by, by revolution and there's establishing, there's the establishment of a republic, which is then overthrown by a coup, which sort of like reasserts much of the, uh, the, the previous uh, still enlightenment principles of like, of despotism or whatever, but, but not of republicanism. But it does so on the basis of like defense of the constitution and of republican values and certainly of the culture of, uh, of the revolution. And then the, the revolution is exported and it's the continuation of the revolution, even as it is like Bonaparte's regime is the negation of the revolution. But then the restoration, which is the negation of Bonaparte. And the negation of the revolution can only be done so on the basis not of absolutist monarchy, but on the basis of like a bill of rights and essentially uh like a re- very deeply republican ethos internally, even if not externally, even if not on uh, in its visage, so that the French monarchy can never be the old monarchy again, and then the new republic that asserts itself after that monarchy similarly can no longer be the old republic, so that you know these uh, There are these sublated forms of the previous social conditions in each new assertion of, you know, whatever it so that even the class struggle is implicit in Hegel's logic, even if he doesn't exactly use those terms, because Mm. he's identifying it as it's happening. And so that's that's Hegel's philosophy of history is the French Revolution in its assertion and its negation and the negation of its negation.
2: That actually brings up. A pretty interesting thought experiment when thinking about the future socialist society the The supplanting of capitalism by whatever it is that we build and what has come previously in an attempt to do so
1: well, that's the reason why my assessment now of the what we call the actually existing socialisms of the twentieth century has become both more critical and more um uh sympathetic at the same time. It's because I, I start to try to imagine the transition as process, and not just process in the sense of being able to wave away contradictions, but the recognition of the role that contradictions play in the process. So that, so, like, if if Bonaparte is both the negation of the revolution and its continuation, then so too can Stalin and whatever, and all that means is, well, it's all, it's very complicated.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about Yugoslavia now. Everything makes me think about Yugoslavia. All
1: all questions return (laughs) you back, they lead back to Yugoslavia.
2: Hello. Just wanted to remind everyone of a few things. First of all, we have a Patreon. If you like us enough to give us $2 a month, you can join our Patreon and receive access to our irregularly posted content. We only have one tier, and that tier provides access to our Discord server, which includes discussion about all sorts of stuff which may or may not be relevant to the podcast. We're also going to be doing reading groups and patron roundtables, which will be group discussions on topics decided in the Discord and recorded as special patron-only episodes. In addition to that, we've got our regular patron-only episodes that are posted whenever we come up with a topic or find an article that we think is super interesting and actually have time to talk about it. We have all kinds of ideas for other content and are always looking for more. If any of that interests you, become a patron and join it. I would also like to remind everyone that we are part of the Lost Horizons Network, which is a dialectical pessimist podcasting network which includes Red Library, From 78, The Regrettable Century, and our Supergroup podcast. Well, here we are still, after all, which includes members of all three podcasts. Make sure to follow all of our respective podcasts on Twitter, and to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcatching app. For real, go to iTunes right now, give us a five-star rating, and leave us a review about how much you like us. Let's trick the algorithm into showing our content to more people. Okay back to the show
0: okay uh so so i think um like a may, maybe a, maybe a good example to take uh or to look at is 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 the uh notion of of class struggle this 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 uh this uh, and as it's sort of um you, you know usually viewed as these these two positive uh classes that then uh you know fall into and in, in, or, or sort of come come into conflict with each other and there's an, an antagonism between them and um like the, the the proletariat and the bourgeoisie as these two two positive entities but um but sort of I, th- I think Hegel would think of them as as sort of like a, a, a negative manifestation of of antagonism as such like antagonism uh sort of sort of like the the classes form around antagonism and not and not that there's these two positive entities that then, uh, uh, come into conflict with each other. And, um, and I, and I think that there's always like a, like an, an instinct to particularize, um, like individual events in history, um, because it's just like, what's at hand at the moment. And, uh, it's, it's sort of like, a posteriori, posteriori. And,
1: um, uh, wait, uh, what,
0: Instead of a priori? Oh, okay. Posteriori.
3: As in like, uh, back there. Right. A A, A priori being, uh, you know, before uh, it's manifested, Uh, posteriori is like concluded from its manifestation.
0: Yeah. Great. Okay. I don't know why that didn't uh, And, uh, so even in the sense of this kind of like histori- historiography of, of, of particularly like we can look at sort of, sort of, you know, some something that just happened, like this election, and then, and then, uh, try and like look at like, oh, we just try to, try to find its companion in history, you know, it's like, oh, it's like the 2003 election, oh, it's like the 2016 election, like blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, and still like that doesn't really fully grasp, uh, the sort of the, um, grasp the sort of antagonisms as such and can almost like oftentimes history and um sort of there's like a almost like i i'm sorry that this is like the first thing that came to my brain but uh the the movie the big lebowski uh when it when it uh Sweet. when it came out people didn't like it and uh it was sort of just like cast out like whatever like this movie sucks and then it was like re or had like a re. Appreciation and, uh, and then this is sort of the logic of all cult films, but, uh, that it then sort of after the reappreciation, it was like, oh, it was always a good movie, sort of thing. It's like there, you right. can't even like now, if you occupy the space where you don't like the, the big Lebowski, you're then the like the weirdo, sort of thing. Like, but, uh, but that's sort of like a fantasy. It was like because it was disregarded when it first came out, but sort of once it gets its reappreciation, then it now it retroactively means it was always a good movie sort of thing but uh yeah yeah um but anyway so so to not look at like singular (laughs) singular historical events or like epochs uh such as like class antagonisms and their different formations throughout throughout history um but to use it to then uh, like like sort of hegel used the haitian revolution but to get at this like universally universality of antagonism as such and and i think and I think so, something very interesting is, is the person who sort of, uh, a person came close to seeing that was, was Kautsky. And, uh, um, sort of he, because he, uh, theorized that sort of class struggle was, was manifested from just like humanity's struggle against nature, which I think is, is sort of wrong, but sort of getting close to the point. So yeah, he, he viewed it as like this gen, like, like, like class struggle spawns from just like this general primordial struggle of mankind against nature. Um, but I think that's wrong, most obviously, because nature is itself a product of antagonism. It it it, it sort of erupts, nature erupts out of a chaotic antagonism as such. And that through, uh, you know, the symbolic order, uh, humanity is alienated from the natural world and blah, 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 blah. It's sort of like it, it, but then that even goes a step further to an even more primal antagonism. This antagonism of, uh, you know, the, the sort of like the, this, uh, yeah, this like this primal antagonism that sort of that, that, that sort of class struggle can then be analyzed through to reach this, this almost like universal antagonism. And that, and that, that is sort of like the, the, um, sort of, sort of bringing, bringing Hegel into the, into the Marxist tradition of, of sort of, you know, sort of using social reality to get at this like abstract, uni- universal, you know, real, uh, out, outside of social reality. And that that sort of should be incorporated into, into any sort of like emancipatory project that, that is engaged in, I suppose. But you know, does that make sense? You know what I mean? It's like class struggle is, and Anta- it is sort of the antagonism as such sort of thing that there's a, there's a primordial antagonism that needs to then be taken into account in addition to like, you know, the material antagonisms of, of the two classes. Yeah. Have you, have you read, uh, either of you read, uh, Lukash's theory of the proletariat as, as like the, the Geist in Hegel's system?
1: So I have read a lot of Lukash, but I read Lukács when I don't think I was fully equipped to do so. So the answer is yes, but not in a way which is like incredibly useful. It's more like I read Lukács yeah. and I was like, fuck, I should, I would love to understand this one day. And it like compelled me to move forward. Politically, but I haven't gone back and reread it. Now that I think, I might actually more fully grasp it.
0: Yeah, he like I I'm like sort of back and forth on him because he I I sort of idealist logic in his where he's like, oh yeah, like Geist, that's just these people and sort of thinking, okay, you're just like asserting ideal or idealist logic onto just like a real group of people. So like I don't I just don't understand how it's like. There, there's there's not like a clean transition there like it's sort of like I just see it as still idealist if you just sort of take an idealist you know I- idealist logic and then just like place it or s- sort of just like put it onto like the the material world or something like that but I do but I do like it but he Lugash kind of formulated the the um the proletariat as like the negative like Hegel like as negativity as such and like as like a like an antagonism of antagonism sort of thing, but yeah, yeah. That's I was just wondering if you guys read that, right? So
1: I was thinking about the concept of God, and there's a concept. There is a very like uh, simplistic notion of God as being like and a great other that everyone is subordinate to, and then there's another conception of God or the divine, which is much more complex, and that there uh, it exists within every individual person. And that it is also something which is external to people. And it is our, uh, uh, the process by which we try to arrive at or to get closer to God that we then become, uh, more righteous, more divine, and thus manifest the divine. And that that is God. Um, and that's similar to what Lukash does with some of, you know, you could say like, oh, he's just taking this idealistic, uh, <laughs> this notion of Geist and then he's just, just transposing it onto something material but that's a uh, not without precedent in the way in which people try to reconcile that which they can yeah. fully comprehend within the material sense and that which they can't fully comprehend in a in something more or less less tangible something metaphysical and it's kind of like uh, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of parallels between hermeticism and hegelian logic in that there's the i always get these kinds of things wrong but there's the all and that everything is within the all but everything mm-hmm. is of the all so that you are you know it's all this it does seem to be as though there is there is a universal experience of trying to all grasp toward the same thing this sort of absolute knowledge that Hegel's not the first person to identify it he's just the person who gave us the language we have for it now <laughs>
2: What do you think would be if you had to encapsulate the the key things that Marx takes away from Hegel? What do you think those would be?
0: I would say, I guess on a on a personal level, what I what I sort of take from from Marx is 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 the critique of political economy that there's there's nothing that sort of like surpasses right. that, but. And that 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 is informed by you know a lot of Hegelian philosophy. In that sort of the main thing, and I I said this before, is 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 the commodity form as you know a sensuous, super sensuous thing, something that is. So maybe this I can bring this up now is is sort of Hegel's relationship to Kant, and then and then get back into Marx from that. But so so Kant has as sort of differentiates in the critique of pure reason um mm-hmm. the difference between saying something is not something versus saying something is non something so like the the so like um all right he- hegel is a german philosopher so it's like i could say hegel is not german and that implies that he is just something other than german and then i could say hegel is non german and then that implies that he is sort of the the opposition the antagonism or the the negation of 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 the of the form of german and, uh, and that those two things are, are completely, are completely different things. Saying something yeah. is not something versus something is non something. And so, and, and sort of, um, going back to Marx is, is this idea and, and, uh, sort of, uh, I can, uh, talk about Lenin too. Cause like Lenin's, Lenin's sort of, uh, conceptualization of material is, yes, is, is all that is sort of everything that exists in like out there sort of thing in, 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 in an, in an objective material world and how, but then the the commodity form is this is this sensuous, supersensuous thing, this this thing that is you know an object that is a, a sort of objectively real while also being this sort of mythical, metaphysical uh, idea of a thing, and that it's both at the same time that it that it is it is contradictory that and that that is a true thing, sort of that 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 Marx takes from Hegel is this idea of of matter and sort of getting into the idea of dialectical materialism, that for Hegel, the the difference between something being not material, so something is not material versus something is non material are two different things, and that the non-material is still material, and that the the absence of materiality is is fits within the form of materialism itself, even though something is not matter, it's still a material thing. Like the the absence of something has as much of you know is as much of a of everything that exists outside of us sort of thing and that um the commodity form in marx is is perfectly represented in that and um uh yeah and so that's that's something and then and then uh and then the notion of of dialectical, dialectical materialism too and there's sort of I guess some somewhat of a riff to me between dialectical materialism and and historical materialism as as sort of dialectics being a law as opposed uh-huh. to sort of this 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 definitive objective thing as opposed to uh sort of a a, a thing that is purely contingent and uh and that there's like um that that's sort of a a point of separation between Marx and Hegel that I think is is sort of where um. Hegel should step back in, uh, to, um, the sort of, the sort of, uh, the, the, the contradictory and contingent aspect of, of dialectical materialism as a, as opposed to like the law of, of historical materialism. But those are kind of the two sort of big, big things I think, um, Marx takes from Hegel. One, I think being good and one, I think, you know, being bad, I guess.
1: Hmm. Do you mean like um? So I just uh yeah, to be real clear about that, do you mean that like Marx's own notion of what the laws of history are and how they're dialectical is itself um a mistake or like an undialectical notion of of dialectics, or <laughs> yeah, is it yeah. that or is it okay? Well, so so the answer is yes, but just to continue the thought, because um, the way that I would have posited it prior to this conversation is that there is an undialectical notion of dialectics that exists in a vulgarized Marxism, which is almost like a necessary that, uh, no. result of popularization, so that there's like, you encounter Marx talking about the laws of history, and your understanding of what a law is, is a very positivist notion, uh, because it's not a Hegelian version of what a law is, because your understanding of Marx is not yet directly from marx but as is itself is like from kautsky or from from lenin or rather from a book about kautsky or a book about lenin
2: or from stalin's short course on dialectics right which is what informed the entire ml tradition and is now the ml understanding of what dialectics are and it's a very positivistic yeah yeah
0: yeah i wonder i i I, I don't understand how there's, I mean, there's like, a, I think there's an ocean of difference between like the work of Lenin and then like Marxist Leninism and, and that, um, sort of Stalin's codification of it. I like think it's the that's a whole, that's a whole thing, but I'm sure you guys talked about that in the, in the <laughs> discussion. You guys
1: had. We, we've talked about that a lot of times in our lives, but I think this, it's the, it's the issue with codification. Yeah. Right. So like, um, you know, I have come to appreciate the role of the popularizer as doing something which is both necessary and also necessary to overcome. So that, like, you read something like uh, Kautsky's book, which is called "Is it the Economic Doctrines of Karl Marx?" I don't know, whatever. Kautsky is a person who is super close to the person of Engels and is contemporary with the uh, and largely responsible for the popularization of Marxism. And in his, and in in doing so, there uh, he, he, he contributes a version of Marx's thought, which is codified, which is great because then anybody can just pick it up and, and, and encounter it and say, "Oh yeah, I'm for this. I must be a Marxist." And then it produces, in it immediately within the same breath, a problem of a codification of Marxism, so that you now have to undo it. But on the basis of an understanding that it was first necessary. Um, and then I would say the same thing about a person like Lenin who, uh, philosophically, just according to, just in his own words, philosophically breaks with the codified, uh, and dead so-called Marxism of the Second International primarily, or at least first, firstly through a re-engagement with Hegel. And then there is the codification of Lenin's thinking, which is much more nimble and much more, um, you know, uh, whatever it's better. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a return to Marx as as he conceives of it anyways, then there's a codification of Lenin's thinking in something called the science of Marxism, Leninism, which is great because then everybody around the world can be like, you know, you can read a, a pamphlet about these critical things, imperialism, finance, capital, uh, the, the notion of the proletariat as vanguard of the oppressed and, and so on, right? But then once everybody kind of comes to terms with this elementary Marxism or elementary Leninism or whatever you want to call it, it needs to be, it's superseded. And so it's both necessary and also it's, it, it's, it's a, a necessary to overcome. And so yeah. anytime that there's a person who is like coming into contact with the elementary Marxism in whatever form, I just regard it as a, as a good. So like the existence of like a Jacobin magazine several years ago, that's a net positive. And it's also now a drag. And I don't mean a drag in the sense of like, it's not fun. I mean, it is a fetter upon its own further development because it exists to popularize. And the role of the popularizer is to create a new set of problems. Vulgar Marxism is good. We should be so lucky as to have uh, a generalized vulgarized Marxism like that exists In the 1930s around the world, in the day to day propaganda of the various communist parties, uh, because then we could overcome it because we must. So just sorry, that was long winded, but what I don't mean to say is a person who considers himself an ML is a baby. What I mean is that, (laughs) (laughs) what I mean is that there is a a simplistic notion of how the world works and what one's own role in history is, which is important, but you can't, you, you don't get to stop at that first revelation you know like uh to to use hegel's own terms right absolute knowledge is a permanent agenda (laughs) so you you have to be at war with your own conception of things
2: yeah and there's nothing wrong with babies yeah
1: babies are really cute
2: (laughs) yeah and then they they grow up to be adults
1: You know, so yeah,
3: everywhere, though,
1: (laughs) I think it's important that, you know, since, you know, what we're doing is saying things to uh, uncountable and infinite possibilities of strangers out in the world in a permanent way in a recording. This is important to say that, like, I'm not saying that's baby Marxism. Mine is adult Marxism. It's that mine is only adult Marxism in as much as I treat it as baby Marxism and try to grow up from it.
2: Mine is like fucked up teenager Marxism that's just <laughs> like really. all over the place. <laughs>
1: it's really like angsty, brooding teenager Marxism, and that's where <laughs> exactly. I'm stuck, really. But I would like to overcome that because that's part of a, that's part of development.
2: It's like Marxism that just discovered Bauhaus and the Smiths. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's a, it's a gothic Marxism. Yes, exactly. The same thing is true of anything that's called like a Trotskyism. Right or a Maoism or a left communism, it's like when you arrive at your ideal version of a thing and you codify it. And now this is the um, the real Marxist tradition, like the thing that we were raised with in in the Trotskyist lineage. Is like the real Marxist tradition is that you got you, know, you got your Marx and then you got your who kind of like undoes Marx, but the Lenin comes and saves Marx. Uh, by reasserting Marx, and then you get your Stalin who kind of undoes the Lenin and thus undoes the Marx. But then you got your Trotsky who comes and like redoes the Lenin, which thus redoes the Marx. And it's like, it's an attempt at a dialectical logic, but it's really flimsy and childish. So that like, oh, I'm a Trotskyist because I'm the real Marxist. And that's just the same thing as being, uh, a, a an upholder of any so called immortal science is that it, it ceases to be scientific in the Hegelian sense of being, you know, impregnated with history and thus living in contradictory and necessarily developing through its own negations. Uh, every time you arrive at the real Marxism, you're you're basically not being Marxist anymore.
0: I guess the the sort of where I see the the schism and both the point of reconciliation between Hegel and Marx and, and sort of the 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 necessity of sort of a radical Hegelianism with, with like a, the, 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 um, you know, with Marxism. And, uh, and it's, it's sort of in, in, um, uh, a sentence in the, in the German ideology, uh, that goes, um, uh, uh, German philosophy has tried to, uh, or has attempted to descend from, uh, heaven to earth. And our philosophy tries to ascend from earth to heaven. And that, um, I think that this that there's like a um a a, mis, a misconception on the part of and 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 I know that he Marx is sort of referencing is is using heaven and earth as as sort of uh, metaphors for materialism, then reaching this sort of like uh, you know infinity, sort of whatever, like some you know uh, superstructure communism, like what like it's sort of it's a metaphor that's supposed to mean many different things, and that sort of uh German idealism from you know Kant Fichte, Schilling and Hegel were sort of descending from heaven to earth and, and, and all the implications that implies. but I think where the sort of immensity of Hegel comes from the fact that I, I think if you if you read Marx literally when he, when he's saying that. He, he sort of his, his process of, and, and I'm going to use like, uh, like math, mathematics just to like illustrate this point is he thinks you go from, you know, one to two to three to four to five and so on and so on and so on. And, so on, and then you, you reach heaven, you reach the infinite. And, uh, and that these, the sort of the, the, the valued number, like, like d- digits with value are then these, these material things that then you, you ascend to, to heaven from. But I think. Hegel would say, but you forgot that, um, you have to start at zero. Uh, z- sort of for, for Hegel, again, you know, the, the non material is different than something that is not material. And that because something has no substantial value doesn't make it, uh, sort of, it shouldn't be cast out. And that, uh, um, you know, cause the, obviously, uh, there, there is no substantia, like as substantiality is an impossibility for, for Hegel. But and then and then you look at these these two concepts side by side zero and infinity they're both the same thing. You could look at zero and infinity as just plus minus infinity and then in mathematics there's um sort of uh these notions of uh indeterminate forms so like equations like 0 minus 0 or infinity times infinity uh you know and so on and so on that that don't have answers to them. But anyway, so it's like if, if you sort of take that, that, those terms, heaven and earth, and apply them to these, like, uh, this, this, like, numerical metaphor, but, uh, that sort of plus minus infinity is then plus minus heaven. And that this sort of infinity is then this sort of transcendental form that holds, like, the, 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 the sort of content of earth within it. And that, um, sort of the, the Hegelian move would then be, no, you don't, you don't, ascend from earth to heaven uh you ascend from heaven to earth that heaven is negative that heaven is below earth and that you have to ascend to it but um and then and then taking the 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 sort of pre-marx german idealism or or that he thought german philosophy descended from heaven to earth so the um so that the the true the sort of true infinity of of the sort of plus minus infinity that encompasses the the sort of that's like the breadth of of space time and and of course uh you know because in in quantum physics and and calculus space time is is curved it's not like a sort of just an infinite linear progression like line in either side it's curved and that um it it curves onto itself and that's like a true the true infinity sort of thing in in hegel uh and um it's it's not matter which curves space-time but the curve of space-time as like the primordial form which creates like matter which is the the content of 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 that transcendental form and and therefore like marx was on the right track but sort of he missed like the 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 whole process the whole like dialectical process is that we move from earth to heaven first but we descend from earth down to heaven and not ascend and then the to the sort of primordial negativity the void the the sort of you know the 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 gap in in b the incompleteness of being and it's not like the end point but uh we must descend uh from earth to heaven uh to to do that in order to sublate heaven back into earth to to sort of um in in reverse hegelian terms and and do you know um did, did that did, did that come together Do you, do you know what i mean
1: math and physics are where it starts to not make sense to me.
0: Yeah. So like if
1: you were going to construct a framework for me to not understand something that would be the way to do it, but I also <laughs> but for a lot of other people that's the way to make sense of it.
0: Okay, so, so you know. I I can I'll I'll sort of I'll, I'll I guess I'll draw the point again. Uh, so so some uh someone like Plato or something like that like there there were these like ideal forms that he saw as like uh, you know, they were the ideal forms, like right. All of the, world world of the forms was, was representation, and then there was a world of forms. But if you see that world as not there, as an app ab- as absent, but then still present in its absence, like not that it's not there, so it has no effect on anything. But the mm-hmm. absence of form is then the the like primordial negative infinite that you then that then like shapes the the content of matter, you know, of earth in the sentence, um. And that, uh, so, so like the primordial heaven is the starting point. So you ascend Uh from heaven to earth, it's like reverse. So you ascend from heaven to earth and then, but to, in order to get to heaven, you have to move through the content of earth to heaven to then sublate heaven into earth. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that, that makes, yeah. And that that's the reconciliation of sort of, you know, not just, um, sort of our, our, our alienation from substantiality, you know the sort of philosophical tradition of trying to like bring uh us to some sort of substantiality but the reconciliation of substantiality that it, that's alienated from itself that's like a like a you know a reconciliation of that alienation
1: so is this the concept which is like embodied in the in the expression that the the resolution of existence and non-existence is the process of becoming
0: yeah, that's exactly that's, that's what it. that's about, think. right? That's that's literally that. So it's like that was uh you said that in one sentence. Wow, I should have just said that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so it's like for Hegel, like an example, uh, like absolute light and absolute dark, uh, mm-hmm. like pure lightness and pure darkness. They're the same exact thing to him because you can't see anything in them. So the content is the same. So then it's a formal difference between the two. It's almost like it's like that saying like two sides of the same coin. You have to like step back. And just see the coin as a form and not like the two sides of it. Sure.
1: Okay. Yeah. Because a, a vulgar materialism would say that uh, this is what is, and this is the basis of what could be because this is what is. Mm-hmm. And something that is not cannot be what is because, you know, it's, it's got to be something that's formal, it's got to be something that's material. Mm-hmm. I can or hold it's it, like, it, it's it, tangible. It, and that's materialism.
0: Yeah. And if, it, and it's it, it not, eliminates. It's not that it's not. Oh right so I was going to say yes. it's not that it's not something it's non something
1: right that it's non something that that yeah, anything yeah. that is not present here is a non thing yeah and so any conception that i have of what could be is uh if it's not rooted in what is then it can't become something that is that is uh that is a non the non thing cannot become a thing uh now see that that explanation makes it harder for me even for myself now <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but what I mean to say is that, like, there is a vulgar materialism which is too rigid in its rejection of the ideal. The, of the mm-hmm. ideal, the, that the ideal form exists in your mind because of your experience with reality. And that because you have it in your mind, your process of deal, your process of experiencing the material is, a, is, uh, transformed by your attempt at experiencing the non-material. And that's what makes, you know, when, when people say something like ideology becomes a material force, that's, a, that's another way of getting at the same concept,
0: maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah.
1: So the problem with explaining Hegel like the <laughs> babies and children and idiots is it's still hard.
2: So it's like when people don't think it be like it is, but it do.
1: There you go, so now we, it should, we should
2: make- Don't be like it is, and it do.
1: Yeah. It both don't be like it is, and also it do.
2: Right, exactly.
1: There's There's your Hegel meme. So the fear is legitimate but it is manipulated.